Christmas is a special time of year. Our families gather together, kids come home from college, maybe bringing a significant other to show off to family. There's usually a fancier meal than the rest of the week. Different activities fill the calendar with caroling, Christmas gatherings, parties with friends, with co-workers, with family members, with school, you name it. In-laws, Christmas concerts, break from school, even other businesses are closed on Christmas. Or if you get to work on Christmas, you get holiday pay, which is a nice perk. But there's more to Christmas than just these activities. It's not, it's not about the plays. It's not about the songs. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the food. It's not about the decorations. It's not about the family. It's not about the friends. But if Christmas isn't about these things, what is Christmas about? Thankfully, Matthew records the meaning of Christmas in his gospel for us. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, and if you'd like to follow along, it's on page 1497 in your pew Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Reading in Jesus' name. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for Christmas. And now, Lord, as we reflect on what Christmas is and what you came to do for us in that first Christmas, we pray, Lord, that you'd open up our hearts to receive this message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if anybody just timed that, but it's less than a minute. The Christmas story can be read in one minute. So why do we go through all of this trouble, all of the headaches, all of the stress to make a big production out of something that lasts a minute to read? Why do we gather with family and friends? Why do employers feel the need to give you a day off if you just need to read a story that lasts a minute? Why? Is the school calendar interrupted? It may take less than a minute, but the profound truth of Christmas, of this story, is earth-shattering. And it ought to cause us to stop in our tracks and to think, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? The Sunday school program did a great job showing the details of the story. The Virgin Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph and was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. The shepherds, who the angels came and proclaimed to them, a Savior has been born to you. And so they go and see this Savior. But this, more, this evening, I want to look at something else. I want to focus on the child. I want to focus on the baby. In verses 21 and 23, we read these words. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. And behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Christmas is significant because of who this baby is, because of who this son is. This baby is Emmanuel. This baby is God with us. And the angel announces that this child would be the one whom Isaiah prophesied about 700 years earlier. The virgin will be with child and she will have a son. And his name will be Emmanuel. He will be, in fact, God with us. This baby that was born 2,000 years ago wasn't just an average baby. It wasn't the illegitimate child of Mary. But this baby is, in fact, God with us. Yes, this baby was Mary's son, fully human, like you and I, but yet somehow also God's son and fully divine, 100% God. He was, in fact, God with us. This helpless little baby was the savior of the world, the creator of the universe. God made flesh, dwelling among man, which begs the question, why? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus leave the comforts of heaven to come to this world? Why would he leave being in the presence of his Father where all the angels and all the saints who have lived and died believing in him are bowing before him and worshiping him? Why would he leave that? To be born as a baby. Not even in a nice hospital room, but in a cave. Why would he take on human form? He's God. He could do anything. He could be whatever he wanted to be. God, not being limited by time or space or by the laws of physics or the laws of nature, and yet here he chose to come to this earth as a baby, fully submitting himself not only to the laws of nature, not only to the laws of physics, not only to all the pain and suffering that we go through in this life, but he was raised by imperfect, sinful parents. He submitted himself to every human experience that we go through in our own lives. Hunger, anger, fear, loneliness, despair, fatigue. Yes, Jesus was even an adolescent. He was a teenager. And he had to listen to his parents while he was still a teenager. He went through sorrow and countless other experiences and emotions that each one of us still experience today. Why? Why would God choose to go through all of these things? And the answer is so that he could be Emmanuel. So that he could be God with us. So that as we are lonely, we're not alone, but God is with us. And as we hunger, as we despair and grieve, God is there with us as well. When we're happy, God is there. When we're sad, God is there. And even when the rest of the world continues to go on and live happy and carefree lives and you're in your own suffering that nobody knows about, God knows and God is with you. Jesus came to this world in order to be with you, to dwell with you. How could God relate to someone trying to get 30 hours of work done in a 24-hour day if he's not bound by time? But Jesus was bound by time. How could God relate to someone who doesn't know where their next meal is coming from if Jesus never needed to eat? But Jesus did need to eat. And Jesus did know what hunger was. How could he relate to someone on their deathbed if God can't die? But Jesus did die. 
How can he relate to someone who's tempted to sin if he wasn't tempted? This is why Jesus came as a man. This is why Jesus came as the God-man, so that he could be God with us, fully God and fully man. In whatever circumstances of life that we are going through, in order to identify along with us. But Jesus came to be more than a shoulder to cry on, more than just a friend or a companion. He came to be your Savior. As the angel told Joseph, here is what he is to call the baby's name, Jesus. You shall name him Jesus. And why? The angel explains. For he will save his people from their sins. Yes, Jesus came to experience life in order to relate to us, in order to show us how to live our lives, in order to show us that, yes, God cares about you, in order to comfort the afflicted. But he didn't just come to put a Band-Aid on you as you scrape your knees. He came to save the lost. We can convince ourselves that some sins aren't a big deal, that as long as they're not hurting anybody else, or as long as maybe nobody else knows about it, it's, it's okay. Or maybe we tell ourselves if the end justifies the means, if the end result is better than what it takes to get there, it's okay. But sin is not something that God takes lightly. In fact, God tells us what the wages of sin is. He says the wages of sin is death. Meaning that when you sin, the paycheck that you should expect to get isn't any amount of money, but it's a death sentence. And that's what each one of us deserves. And the word that Paul uses there as he writes that, he's not saying it's just for the big sins. It's not for the sins that affect many people. He just uses the word sin. It can't get any more generic as that. Any sin, whatever small sin it might be, all sin, all different kinds, from the private to the secret and hidden ones, to the blatant sin that's in your face that you can't seem to ignore. Or maybe the sin that's socially acceptable and celebrated in culture, or the ones that shock even the hardened criminal. Yes, any sin and all sin deserves a death penalty. And every one of us has to admit that as we sit here tonight, we have sinned. I'll be the first to admit that I have sinned. And that means for us that we deserve the death penalty. And it's nothing that we could do to get out of it. There's nothing that we could do to make up for it or to erase the fact that it happens. Every one of us here is deserving death. And not just physical death. That time will most likely come unless Jesus comes back first. But spiritual and eternal death, separation from God forever into the lake of fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And this isn't something that you'll become accustomed to after spending 20 years there or 20 light years down there. It's suffering that will last for an eternity and it will never end. We might be able to fool some people in this world thinking that we're good people, that we're moral people, that we're good upstanding citizens in this world. But that's man's eye. And God sees beyond just our actions, but he sees our hearts. He sees the thoughts that we think, the desires and intentions of our hearts that we fight against every day, and yet sometimes we still end up giving into more often than we'd like to admit. God knows that we are not good people. Yet even in light of this knowledge, God's word tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us. In this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. And much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. The saving wasn't tossing out a lifesaver to a person who's drowning. The Savior wasn't him standing on the edge saying, do this and live, or telling you instructions for how to live your life or how to avoid punishment. Now the saving meant Jesus leaving the comforts of heaven, the comforts of home, to come, to be born as a baby, to live a perfect life, to experience all the things that we experience on this world, and to die a a miserable death, crucified on a cross, all to save us from our sin. We don't deserve it, but God did it because of his love for you. He sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us, to save us not only from our sin, but also from the wrath of God. And Jesus and his blood, and here alone do we find forgiveness. And here alone, Jesus and his blood, do we find salvation. In Jesus alone do we find life. And in Jesus alone do we find the meaning of Christmas. And it ought to cause us to stop and to pause and to reflect and praise God for this gift that he has given to us. You see, Christmas is more than just another reason to fill your schedule. It's more than just food, friends, and family. It's about the God of the universe coming into this earth, into this world as a baby to save his people from their sin. It's about the seed of the woman promised in Genesis chapter 3 to come and to crush the head of the serpent. It's a battle between good and evil. And it's the love of God made known to us and his son. And the only gift that could be given to satisfy and to save, Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh, our crucified and risen Lord as we confess. Christmas is about God with us. Christmas is about Emmanuel. Christmas is about Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost and to save you from your sin. So this Christmas season, let us pause and reflect and think of the salvation that God came to bring to us, leaving the comforts of heaven to live a life here in this cruel and harsh world, to experience everything that we experience in order to go through it for us and with us, and to carry us through, but also to die the death that you and I deserve to die so that we don't have to worry about going through that, so that one day we can look forward to the comforts of heaven with Jesus forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this time of Christmas, this time where we pause and we think of what you have done for us. God, because of your love for us, You sent your one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins, for my sin, Lord, in order to forgive me. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness that you give me, Lord, that you give us through your word, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I praise you for that promise. We praise you for the gift of Christmas and for this time to gather with friends and family, to think about what's most important in this world, you and what you have done for us. Father, we thank you and we praise you for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.